0: And let's keep that applause going. Applaud for yourselves for being here. How about that? It's right here. It's summer vacation season, and you made a choice to be here. And some of you are actually watching this live stream. You're in your hotel room right now. And before you hit the beach, you're watching this. And so thank you so much for tuning in. And some of you are watching this a few days later. We're not going to applaud for you, but uh, we still appreciate the fact uh, that you're spending some time with us. No, we're just kidding. Thank you so much for however you're connecting with us. Uh, We do appreciate uh, you being a part of what we're doing here at Hope Community Church. Uh, Since uh, early June, in fact, the first Sunday in June, we've been spending a good bit of time here at Hope Community Church talking about our vision statement, talking about the specific work that we are called to here in our community. And we have a very simple but pointed vision statement, and that statement is, we are engaging in the mission of God for the sake of the lost. Engaging. In the mission of God for the sake of the lost. Can you say that with me? Engaging in the mission of God for the sake of the lost. Now, a few of you didn't do it, so let's all do it together. Engaging in the mission of God for the sake of the lost. And so we've been spending some time talking about what that means to engage in the mission of God for the sake of the lost. And as a church, we believe that there is such a thing as God. And the God of the Bible is the one true God. And that God, He is on a mission And it is a rescue mission, a mission of redemption in this world. And so we exist to give God what he wants. He wants to save people. We're going to give God the chance to do that through us. God has gone to great lengths to save us, humankind. He sacrificed his one and only son. And so we are engaging in God's mission, and we're doing it for the sake of the lost. We as a church, we don't exist for our own sake, for the sake of Christian people. We exist for the sake... Of the lost. Now, last week, I attempted to answer a question that's come up over the years, the question of, well, what does a church like this have to offer the saved? Well, if we're a church that exists for the sake of the lost, then what does a church like this have to offer someone who is already a Christian, who already is saved? And the answer that I gave you last week is that we have nothing to offer someone who is saved. If that person who is saved has a consumer attitude, what does that sound? Did you guys hear that? It wasn't just me, was it? It's like, am I having a stroke or something? No, you guys heard that? All right. Um, But yes, are we good? Yeah, all right. (laughs) But what does a church like ours have to offer somebody who is saved? Well, nothing. We have nothing to offer the saved if that saved person has a consumer attitude and a consumer mindset towards church. And so many many of us here have that mentality, I just want something for me, feed me, give me the sermons that I want, give me the programs that I want, give me the events that I want, give me the music that I want, but we have to let that die. We have to kill that off if we're really going to become disciples of Jesus Christ. You cannot be a consumer and a disciple, choose one or the other. And so for those of you who have made the choice to be a disciple, for those of you who have choos- chosen to kill off that consumer mindset and mentality, we do have something for you. We have the opportunity for you to do something worthwhile with your life. That's not an exaggeration. That's not dramatic. That's what we have for you here, an opportunity to do something worth doing, something that will have an eternal impact, something that has eternal value. You've heard me mention this before, that as a church... We are here in a specific community, and so we have this big mission statement of engaging in the mission of God for the sake of the lost, but there are lost people all over this planet, but we are not all over this planet. We're right here, and so we can be more specific with our vision and say we're here for the lost people in our own community. We are smack dab in the heart of the Ridley-Enerborough area, and in this area there are 60,000 people, give or take a few thousand, 60,000 people, and how many of those 60,000 don't yet know Jesus as their Savior? We are here. For the loss in our own community. Now, over the years, one of the questions that I've received and one of the criticisms that I received is about how specific we are with our geography. And people have asked the question about being exclusionary. What do you mean you're here for Ridley Interbarrow? What about the people who live beyond those boundaries? What about the people who live in Rutledge? Do they not count? What about the people who live in Springfield? What about the people who live in? In, in New Jersey, what about those people? Why would anybody live in New Jersey? I don't know about What about those people? <laughs> Shots fired. No, we're here. Listen, we're here for everybody. Everybody's welcome. We're not excluding anyone. This is not about excluding anyone. We're just taking responsibility for a people group, for the people right here in our own community. Why Ridley Interborough? Of all the different places on the planet, why are we focusing our attention right here? Well, I'll tell you why because it's where we are, (laughs) because this is, it's my home, this is where I live, this is where I'm from, and starting Hope Community Church was in part my effort to share the gospel with the people that are in my hometown, okay? And that might sound selfish, but my hometown is probably your hometown too. For so many of us in this room, our worlds exist in this little piece of geography. Now, maybe, maybe your boundaries extend farther than mine, right? Maybe your boundaries are more exotic than mine. Maybe sometimes you, you travel to, to like Springfield. Ooh, fancy. Or maybe even media. Ooh, la, la, right? But my boundaries are right here. And there are plenty of people that live right here. And for so many of us in the sanctuary right now, the people that you love, the people that you work with and where you shop and your people that you see are right here among those 60,000. And so we're not excluding anybody. This is supposed to spill over to the whole world. We're not excluding anyone. We're just taking responsibility for a group of people. These are our people, right? These are our people, the 60,000 that are here. And maybe you would have chosen a different group of people because, let's face it, here in our little corner of Delco, we're a rough bunch, all right? We can own that, yeah. We're not quite Philadelphia. We're not quite the suburbs. We've got this chip on our shoulder. We're a rough bunch. But it's, it's who we are, and it's, and it's where we are. And, and we, we are our people. This is who we are. This is is where we are. Now last week as I brought the sermon to a close I attempted to give you some clarity concerning what it looks like to succeed as a church and what our work is and and what we're called to do and I said that it's our plan to share the gospel with all 60,000 of our neighbors. Do you remember me saying that last week? That's why we're here. This one little church in Ridley Park we are here to share the gospel with all 60,000 60,000 of our neighbors. Is that a big number? Now, over the past 11 years of Hope Community Church, I've gotten a little bit better at reading your faces, yes? Some of you are very expressive when I'm up here preaching, and you're smiling, and you're nodding, and I love that, right? Every once in a while, I get the confused face someone out there like, what is he talking about? That's a little off-putting for me to see, right? But I appreciate appreciate the feedback. But last week, when I said we're going to reach all 60,000 of our neighbors, I got a lot of this face. You know that face? like, okay, that's a fine thing for you to say, preacher. It's a fine idea to have, and like, that's a great goal or an idea, but are we really going to reach all 60,000 people? I mean, you can throw that number out. It's fun to talk about, but like, come on. Practically speaking, can we even do that? Can we even saturate this whole geography? Is that even possible for us? Let me just clarify. Absolutely. This isn't some vague kind of like I'm just throwing this idea out there and it gives us something vague. To sh- no, no, this is real. This is what it looks like to succeed. You know, in the world of church, there are different metrics you can have to figure out, well, how well are we doing? How effective are we? And you could look at things like worship attendance and try to get an idea of is this working? Or you could do things like look at small group attendance or, or money raised that's given away and all these different things that you can look at. Like, okay, are, are, are we actually succeeding in this? That's a really good question to ask. Are we succeeding? You need to know what a win looks like. What does it look like to succeed? Now, you guys know that I don't, you know, I'm not an athlete. I don't play sports, but I understand how sports work, right? You take the ball and you cross the line. You get a point, right? You get some kind of a goal. You you win something. You kick that ball into that score, and it's good to know. There's a way you can kind of track your progress. We're winning. We're scoring. We're advancing. What does it look like for Hope Community Church to win? What does it look like look like for us to succeed? Does it mean filling up this space on a Sunday morning? Yeah. What does it look like for us to succeed? I'll tell you what it looks like. Once all sixty thousand of our neighbors have heard the gospel, we've succeeded. And not until then. That's what it looks like for us to win to succeed as a church. And if you're thinking, "Well, this doesn't sound practical," slow down. It is practical. And it is possible. All we have to do is follow a, a pretty straightforward strategy. And we will saturate this whole community, our our community, with the gospel. Before we lay out the strategy, I encourage you to look at your bulletin here and take a look at the Scripture passage that's in your bulletin <clears throat> from Acts 17. And this is Paul on one of his missionary journeys. And just to give you a little backstory, Paul's been bouncing around and he was in one community and he was getting some pushback from the Jews in that community and so he traveled somewhere else and he was getting more pushback. I mean, this is Paul's story. He just travels around and he gets pushed back or his life threatened or these things and then he moves on. And so he's moved on here and he's in Athens and he takes a look around and he sees how religious quote, these people are. He sees all these idols, sees these, these altars that are made and he sees an altar that's been made to an unknown God. And so Paul is given this chance to speak to people who are Jews. He's given a chance to speak to God-fearing Greeks. He's given a chance to speak to Stoics, to philosophers. And he has this opportunity to address a group of people. Some of them know God, some of them don't. And So he stands there and he's attempting to give them some information about the one true God. And he looks around and he sees this altar that's been dedicated to an unknown God. That's what it says, to an unknown God. Paul says, well, I'm going to make this unknown God known to you. And so again, this is before Paul really explains the gospel, before Paul explains who Jesus is and what he has done for us, he gives this introduction to the one true God. He says, the God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by human hands. I mean, for him to look around and see these beautiful, well-designed miracles of engineering, these temples, and say, listen, the God, the one true God that made everything, he doesn't dwell in such places. He doesn't live in temples made by human hands. And He is not served by human hands as if He needed anything. Rather, He Himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. He is establishing the greatness, the grandeur of God. From one man, He made all nations, that they should inhabit the whole earth, and he marked out their appointed times and histories and the boundaries of their lands. God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far away from any of us. The work that Paul was doing is the same work that has been entrusted to us in this generation to make a God that is unknown known, to show people the reality of who God is, his greatness, his love, his compassion, his willingness to forgive, his eagerness to forgive, to make this unknown God known to our people. There is a verse here that, if we're just reading through Acts 17, we might kind of skip over this and not catch how important this is. Verse 26: This idea that from one man God made all nations, that they should inhabit the whole earth, and He marked out their appointed times and histories and the boundaries of their land. God is a master strategist. He is a God of order. He is a complex God when you just consider the creation, when you consider the earth and how codependent everything, interdependent the ecosystems and the animals and life and you consider the universe. I mean, this is a God that is very detail oriented. A master strategist and God has appointed times for every single one of us. What I'm saying to you, friends, is that it's not random that you exist, that you're on this planet, that you live in this place at such a time as this. You are a part of God's strategy, and he timed it out perfectly, and he puts you on this planet with a specific group of people at a specific time, all according to his master plan. Your boundaries have been assigned to you, and the length of your life has been assigned to you, and your people group has been assigned to you by God. Friends, just embrace this reality. Don't push back against it. Don't just finally, once you give in to that, like, God has put me here at this time to do something only I can do. You are here with the purpose. You are here with the people you have influence with a specific group. God puts you here on purpose. So let's go back to this idea of strategy. Okay, what does this have to do with us as a church? How are we going to reach 60,000 people with the gospel? Well, there's something that we do collectively, and then there's something that you do individually, right? We do something collectively as a church, you do something individually that, that no one else can do for you. Here's what we do collectively. It's the stuff we've been talking about for the past several weeks. What we do collectively as a church is we provide the opportunity for discipleship. That's what a church does. We facilitate discipleship. Large group opportunities, small group opportunities, service opportunities. Does this sound familiar? I've been talking about this. That's what we do as a church. We facilitate discipleship. Now, here's what you do as an individual. You have a work to do that nobody else can do for you, okay? Here's what you do. You have to take responsibility for your people. I can't do that for you. Nobody else can do that for you. You have to take responsibility for your people. Here's what that looks like. You sit down with a pen and a notebook, and you write down the names of all the people that you know who don't know Jesus as their Savior. Yeah, there's some homework involved here, and only you can do this. I can't do it for you. You sit down. Okay, you can type it out if you like. That's fine. Or you can do it on your phone. That's fine. But you sit and you write, you write down the names of everyone you know who does not know Jesus as their Savior. That's your job. I can't do it for you, even if I wanted to. You know what this is like? Maybe you've experienced this in the home or at the workplace, and you assign a job to somebody, and they're just not doing it right. You have this attitude of, fine, I'll do it myself. Do you have your experience that? Fine, I'll, you're not going to do the dishes the right way? I'll do it myself, right? Or in work, you assign a task to somebody, they're not. Fine, I'll do it myself. Listen, I can't do this for you even if I wanted to because I don't know your people. You do. This is, no one, have I, has this point landed? No one else can do this for you. Just sit down. Say, who are the people in my life that don't yet know Jesus as their Savior? And you write down those names. If you're sitting here this morning thinking, I'm not going to do this, there's a pretty strong chance that your heart is still oriented around some kind of self-centered goal concerning your faith. Are you willing to spend the five, ten, okay, maybe 20 minutes to write down those names? If you're not willing to invest in that, ooh, there might be something wrong with you, okay, Christians? Take the time. Write down the names. Hope Community Church started in my little green notebook with a list of names. Here are all the people that yet know Jesus as their Savior. That's step one. Should I move on to step two? Are you going to do step one? Listen, don't lie to me. We're in a church. Are you going to do step one? Probably not. Yeah, we'll tell you what you want to hear. No, really. Do step one. Step two, organize your list based on relationship and geography. (laughs) That's what you do. Organize, here's all the people I know. Then organize your list based on relationship and geography. Here are the people on this list that don't you know Jesus who are very close to me, the people that I love the most your spouse, your boyfriend, your girlfriend. Your kids, your parents, the people that you love the most who don't yet know Jesus, your brothers, your sisters, the people who don't yet know Jesus as their Savior. Bump those names to the top of the list. And geography matters as well. Well, there's somebody I love and they know they, they don't know Jesus as their Savior, but they live in California. Okay, well, you can do stuff for them, but our church is not going to be the right fit for them, all right? Because they don't live in our geography. So take that list and then, is this too practical? I'm sorry, is this, did you not come here for practical stuff this morning, right? I feel like I catch people off guard. Are you giving us practical instructions? Yeah, it's practical. You write down the names. Then you organize them based on relationship and geography. Next step. Are you ready for it? You pray. You pray for them. Every every step I've given you so far, you can do by yourself in isolation. You pray for them. Write down the names. Organize the names. Pray for them those people. You pray for them, and then you have conversations with them. You know how conversations work, right? Yeah? Talked about this a little bit last week, and you're talking to one of these people, and this is a name on your list, and you're talking to this person, and you're keeping it light and breezy, right? You're talking about sports, you're talking about weather, you're talking about movies, you're talking about family stuff, and then you move that conversation to the next level. It goes somewhere deeper. How's your dad? I heard he was sick. Or how's your son? Or can I pray for you? Can I pray with you? You move those conversations to a deeper level. How's work? It's not great? Well, why not? Have you thought about moving somewhere else? you take it to a deeper level. So you pray for them. You have conversations with them. And then you extend invitations to them. You invite them to worship with you. This is how we do this. Write down the names. Organize the names, pray for them, talk with them, extend invitations to them. Voila. That's manageable, right? That's manageable. You can do that. It's just a question of will you. You're capable of doing it. Will you invest the time? Will you invest the energy? Will you invest the effort? Will you allow yourself to actually care about those people in your life who don't yet know Jesus as their savior. When I consider all the obstacles, I think that that caring is the biggest one. It's tough to care about people, isn't it? It's tough to be emotionally and spiritually invested in somebody else. Will you allow yourself to care about other people? You write down the names, you organize the names, you pray for them, you talk to them, you extend invitations to them. And that's how we'll reach 60,000 people. Well, hang on, How are we going to cover 60,000 people like that? Okay, well, we just keep doing it. We just keep doing it over and over again. And you're going to extend those invitations to people, and a percentage of the people that you extend those invitations will show up here. I mean, statistically speaking, a lot of them won't. But some will. Some will show up here. And some of the people that show up here, they'll hear about the gospel of Jesus, and they will reject it. And that's very sad. But I'm just trying to prepare your hearts for that. But some of the people... Some of the people that you extend those invitations to will receive Christ as Savior. And then they will do the same thing that you did. They will write down a list of names. They will begin praying for the people in their life who don't yet know Jesus. And they will make those invitations just like you did. Some of you know Jesus as your Savior. Some of you watching online and here today. You know Jesus as your Savior because someone followed this plan. And your name once upon a time was on a list that somebody else prayed for. You realize that? I'm looking at some, I prayed for some of you that are here this morning. You were on my list, and I prayed for you. And I talked with you, and I extended invitations to you. And so here's what we do. We just keep doing this. We just keep doing this, and then at a certain point when we've hit critical mass, we go and we access the census data, which is publicly available, and we make sure we fit every single household In our community, it's just that easy. How easy is that? All right, maybe it's not easy, but it's simplistic. It's possible. There's a wonderful ministry organization in Buffalo that helps helps churches just like ours map out their geography. You can say, here's the houses where you've hit. Here's the houses where no one from your church yet has extended the gospel to them. Yeah, this is it. This is how we do this. And if you're thinking it's going to take more than one church to reach 60,000 people, you are absolutely right. And so part of the plan along the way is we're going to have to partner with other churches and we're going to have to plant more churches. Yeah, and that's exactly what we'll do, right? You look around in this space and think, well, we've got room to grow. Yeah, we've got room to grow today, but there will be a time where we need to plant churches. And heads up, friends, that day might be coming sooner than we're ready for, right? And God has this this tendency to show up and say, boop, now's the time. Oh, we're not quite ready. Well, it's time anyway, ready or not. It's time. You know, back in our old days when we used to, I mean, at the Barnstormers Theater, we would talk about our future quite a bit, uh, that we have this goal of, of church planning, that it's going to take more than one church to reach 60,000. I really haven't talked much about that since we've been in this space. I mean, we've been through a lot. We went through a pandemic. We went through this move. We went through all this stuff. I said, like we need to bring this back to the forefront of our thinking, that we have this destiny. If we're going to reach 60,000 people, it's going to take more than one Local church will have to plant more and will have to partner with other existing churches. This is how we will reach 60,000 people. Does that feel overwhelming to you? Goodness gracious, I don't know. Does that feel overwhelming to you? Have you read the Bible? Have you read the miracles that God has done? I mean, this is easy, breezy, lemon, squeezy for God. This is easy. I mean, if God is in this, you can't stop it right? If God is in this, it will happen. Just let it happen. We just need to partner with God. And if you're feeling overwhelmed, like, goodness gracious, how are we going to plant churches, and where are we going to get the people, and what about the leadership, and what about the money, what about the facility? I leave all that to God. <laughs> Let's go back into where we are right now, the phase that we're in right now. All you need to do is write down those names to spend that time write down the names. This is where we are. This is what's required of us at this specific point in time. We just need to sit down and write down those names. Organize those names. We need to pray for the people in our lives who don't yet know Jesus as their Savior. We need to make that time investment where we're willing to have conversations with those people, conversations that go beyond the surface level. And then we need to extend those invitations. Now, I want to encourage you and challenge you to actually follow through on this. Because we are doing something new as a church in the fall that I want to tell you about. This is the perfect opportunity. If you're new to church stuff and you want to get to know Jesus, this is the perfect opportunity for you. But this is also a perfect opportunity for you to invite your lost people into the worship service. Beginning in the fall and all the way through May, we are going to be spending all of our time on Sunday mornings looking at the life of Jesus in chronological order. This is what we have for you coming next school year. We're going to take a look at the life of Jesus in chronological order. What a wonderful way to get to know Jesus all the way through devoting our sermon time to that. And that sermon time will be accompanied by small group time. So you show up on Sunday mornings, you hear something about Jesus, and then you go to small group that week and you're talking about that same stuff. So we've got large group time, then we'll have small group time, and we'll also have an individual reading plan where you'll be reading through the Gospels yourselves. And so you'll be reading through the Gospels. You show up on Sunday morning. We'll preach about what you've been reading. You go to small group. You ask questions about what you've been reading and what you've heard. How perfect is that? And I I need you to know something. This is really tough to organize, okay? I've been working on this, like, a lot. How do we plot out the different, and how do we work around the different holidays? and how Like, this is a puzzle that I'm working on for you so that you can get to know Jesus better. My goal for you is no excuses. (laughs) No excuses. Create a large group opportunity where you get to know Jesus. An individual reading plan. That's not overwhelming. That allows you to read through the Gospels between September and May and small group opportunities where you connect and ask your questions about Jesus and learn more about him. This, friends, what we're doing in the fall, this is the perfect opportunity for you to invite new people with you worship. It's the perfect opportunity. So between now and the fall, work on your list. That's what we have to do now. Work on our list. Pray for our people. Talk with our people and be ready to extend that invitation so they can get to know Jesus as you know Jesus. Sound like a plan? All right. All right. Let's do it. Let's do it. Let's pray over it. Jesus, if we have faith as small as a mustard seed, we can move mountains. And Jesus, we know that all things are possible through you. And God, we know that you love our 60,000 neighbors more than we possibly could. And so, Father God, we believe that you are on a rescue mission, a mission of salvation, a mission of redemption right here in our own community. And so, Father God, you've enlisted us to be a part of that mission. Lord, I pray for the people right here in this space who feel like they're not ready for this or maybe unwilling to take on this challenge, but here we are. You've put us here at this time. Give us the boldness and the courage to follow through, to sit down with you, Jesus, and to prayerfully write out this list. Write down those names, the people that we love and care about who don't yet know Jesus as their Savior. Let us take this one step at a time. And Father God, we thank you in advance for that opportunity that you are giving us Share your gospel with those who don't yet know you as Savior. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.